Hello, welcome to MusicCast. I'm your host, CJ Cox, and this podcast is a production of the Foundation for New American Musicals, which is dedicated to educating, mentoring, and showcasing the next generations of creators of musicals for stage, screen, and new media. Today, we're going to focus on the education aspect. We'll meet participants in the Foundation's Pathway Program. And Pathway is the nation's first ever in-curriculum musical theater writing classes with special emphasis on high school students in underserved districts. So first we're going to go to West Adams where participants in the Pathway program are preparing their 10-minute musicals. But first we're going to hear about it from Los Angeles' own KPCC. Miranda, watch out. These 11th graders wrote 10-minute musicals about American history, from the Civil Rights Movement to the Roaring Twenties. Though they did get some help from the teaching artists with the Foundation for New American Musicals. One of the student songwriters, America Camacho, says the project was fun and very different than writing the traditional history class essay. Because we kind of have to be the character in a way. We have to kind of think, like, what would this character do? One of her classmates, Denise Berganza, says that helped them learn more about the 20s. How it went was a life of luxury and how there was, like, a lot of mafia and gangs and, like, the prohibition laws and women's rights. Covering arts education, I'm Carla Javier. Now let's go to the auditorium of West Adams High School, where students involved in the Pathway program are preparing to present their 10-minute musicals on American history. Um... Well, my name is Oscar. I'm the composer slash lyricist, and our musical is about the era of social change. Um, We entitled it Draft Afternoon. Okay. And my name is Melissa Vasquez, and I helped both. I helped write both book and lyrics. Okay, and Martha. My name is Martha, and I helped, well, I wrote, I am the librettist. Okay, awesome. Now, tell me about how you got involved with with this project. Um, we got involved with this project when our English teacher actually introduced it and Miss Marlowe and she pitched the idea of writing our own musical and slowly we progressed into the phase of actually thinking of the musical to writing the musical to having it performed. Um, how long has been the process of writing it? Uh, well, we, it took about... Okay, um, like around three, four months we've been working on this musical. Okay. All right. And uh, now you the title is Draft Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... Who are your characters? Um, Our main character is this elderly woman named Agatha, and the other characters are composed or made up of a group of hippies in the era, yeah. Oh, uh, so when is it set? Oh, it's set in the era of social change, so in the late 60s. Okay, okay. Um, That sounds great. (laughs) Um, And what interested you in that era? Why did you you pick that? Um, We were interested in the way that we just love what it stands for, and we thought it was the most time where we actually saw change happen. Mm-hmm. And we were just inspired to um, choose that for our musical. Okay. Theme. Have you had experience writing musicals before? Um, what about you, Martha? Uh, no, we haven't. Uh, so, what got you involved? Um, like we said, Miss um, Pettis, our English teacher, introduced Miss mm-hmm. Marlowe, who actually helps write musicals. And that way we got involved in actually learning what a musical is. And then we also learned how to write a musical. And it was step by step until we slowly progressed into an entire piece. Were you fans of musicals before? 
No, I was. Okay. I, what What's some of your favorite musicals? Um, I really like Hairspray. Uh-huh. And, well, I don't know if it's considered a musical, but a it high is? school musical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of yeah. course. Of course. Uh, what about you two? Well, I have never seen a musical before. Oh, never? Never. Okay. <laughs> um, so, what was your... What was your process then in learning to learning to write a libretto, having well, never seen we, a musical before? Well, we had like it was a complicated process because you have the lyrics and the music, and then the details on how, on like the stage actions and the different things that the actors have to do. Well, congratulations on on accomplishing this, Thank and you. Um, I think it's going to be a great a great <laughs> presentation. So it's been very nice to meet you. Thank you for you talking too. to me. Nice to Thank meet you, you too. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so introduce yourselves and um, tell me what grade you're in. Okay, my name is Hilda Gamara and I'm a junior. My name is Lucera Elias and I'm a junior. I'm Vera Leorruti and I'm a junior. Great. Now tell me what is the title of your of your now are you doing a musical or a song? Song. The song. Okay, what is what is the title of the song? Um, no place to go. Okay, and tell me tell me a little bit about the song. Um, it's about a mother that wants her her kids like to have like um, food and things like that, but um, they, so she sings like that that she like um, that she's like a homeless mm-hmm. and she has eight kids. Wow. Yeah, and um, she she wants to like go into a church like to steal food and like. Obviously, like the the priest is there, and like she's like she's like scared, so she asks for forgiveness and things like that. What was your inspiration for writing this? Well, um, it was poor people and like the Great Depression that had happened years ago. Mm-hmm. So, is your song set in in current times? Uh, so, is it set now? Yeah, and it's actually said during the Great Depression, we actually chose like a song that would be the beat of the Great Depression. Okay. Um, and how, so tell me about, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so you wrote it sort of in the style of a song from the, from the, the From the 20s? Great Depression, okay. yeah. It was, um, it's, um, it was from Woody, Woody yeah. Guthrie. Woody Guthrie, okay. Yes. Um, and were there, like his his song catalog, was there a particular song of his that influenced you? Actually, ain't got no home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got like um, inspired with that beat and um, the words uh, that he was saying. Yeah, how he explained. Yeah. How he ain't got no home, and he had his brothers and sisters gone. Yeah. Now that's that's interesting. Were you fans of Woody Guthrie before, or? Um, did you come upon that when you were researching your project? We actually, we researched and we found him and we listened to him and it actually like got to us. Well, I will really look forward to hearing your song this afternoon. And thank you for talking to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. I am here with Kamal and Jesus. Uh, welcome. Tell me about your, what's the name of your project? A Time for a Change. And uh, tell me about it. It was it was set in during the civil rights movement, which is like the 1960s. Okay. It's about a girl that um that endures many struggles, and pretty much changes her her lifestyle just to um uh, satisfy her family and stuff. Cause her family is also as well having troubles. Okay. So yeah. Uh, and is this uh, uh is it a play? Is I mean is it um how long is it? Um, a ten minute play, I believe. Okay. Um, and. 
which one of you now who was the composer who was the lyricist did you share those responsibilities uh, the, with the lyrics I, we all came up with that and main most of the dialogue it was Jesus okay and who wrote the music um, Masai, which is he's in here. Sadly. Okay, he's uh, so our our composer isn't with us. Um, but now tell me about tell me about how the process was for you. Were you guys interested in musicals before? Uh, at the beginning, I was like kind of skeptical. So I was like, I never did this before. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after like probably like the second week, I was, I was like, uh, it's not that bad. Now, have you performed music before? Have you written music before? No. No. Okay. How was that process, learning that? Uh, it was fun. I mean, if, well, we left all the music to Masai because he wrote the music. He wrote, like, he wrote music before. Okay. And But we really didn't. We just, like, when he showed us, we just showed him, like, what can he, like, improve on and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Would you guys would you guys all collaborate on the lyrics and then he would put it to to um, to music or would he come in with music and you would, you he, would... he did like the lyrics kind of and then we we told him it was all right and we did the um, like the music like the beat to it okay like yeah what was your inspiration for setting this story in the civil rights era oh that was like she gave us she gave us different time periods that we had to do mm-hmm. so we were assigned with the civil rights. And then it was like, was it like a hat? Basically, put the, all the stuff in the yeah. paper. Yeah, and we brace in the hat and pick one up. Okay, uh, for a time period or a subject matter. For the time period. Okay. Because we had to make the the play and the music and the lyrics all based off the time period. Okay, so what year is it set? Is it the early sixties? Okay, yeah, early. Um, and what gave you your sort of inspiration for your storyline? Uh, well, at first we had like a whole different story. Okay. But then Miss Marlo helped us, so then it was like she made it make more sense. Uh-huh. I guess you want to say. Okay. She made it make more sense, and yeah, a lot of the help she helped us with a lot of it. Well, I will look forward to hearing your your piece this afternoon. <laughs> thanks. So uh, thanks a lot. If you would like to find out more about Pathway or any other production of the Foundation for New American Musicals, you can go to our website at fnam.us. That's F-N-A-M dot U-S. There you can find out about upcoming events such as Musical at Rockwell Table and Stage or Third Mondays at Sterling's Upstairs at the Federal in North Hollywood. These are both great evenings of new music, and I hope that you will join us. You can also find information on an upcoming fundraiser for the Foundation, It's a reading of the new musical Molly House, which is really fantastic, and I'm sure that you will enjoy it. I hope that you will join us. Continuing in our education theme, we are going to talk to performer, singer, and actor Eric B. Anthony about how performing in children's theater and the important role that teachers of his had in launching him from Baltimore to Broadway. Let's talk to Eric. Thank you for being with me. My pleasure, um, CJ. Thank you for having me. I really, I really appreciate you talking to me. Oh, um, sure. So we met, uh, this was last week, at an event that the Foundation for New American Musicals has called Third Mondays. Yes. And you gave a stellar performance. Thank you so much. Yeah, really, I really <laughs> liked it. I really appreciate that. Uh-huh. I was really... Um, I was really happy that Michael asked me to join the company that evening, um, and... 
I, I really love what the foundation is doing for New American Musicals. I thought that was a great uh, benefit to join, partner up with, so that I could like lend my name and my voice to that cause because I think it's so important yeah. for new musicals to get support and to get funding. Because it is, it is tough to get something off the ground. Oh, yeah. I mean, no matter no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I was really impressed with in your intro, you talked about. Uh, a theater company that you joined as a uh, as a child. As a now, was child. this? Uh, can you can you tell me about that company? Yeah. So I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, when I was eight years old, I joined the Arena Players Youth Theater, which is the youth theater of the Arena Players Incorporated. And Arena Players is the oldest African American community theater in America, mm-hmm. um, founded by Sam Wilson. And, um, do you know how long it's been in business? Yep. Um, we celebrated 50 years in 2003. So 65 years later, Okay, 65 years later. Wow. Um, that's amazing. Wow. I, I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, that, yeah. 65 years later, this is the 65th year. Um, and so you, right in right in the city of right in downtown Baltimore. Okay, so so right yeah. now you were eight years old when you mm-hmm. when you started. What yeah. was it that prompted you to join? So the cool thing about my story <laughs> it goes um, when I was eighteen months old, mm-hmm. and this has clearly been told to me, but it's fact by everybody who's ever told the story. Um, my grandfather used to own a candy store in Baltimore City. Uh huh. <laughs> I love this story. And I'm, I'm loving the sound of this already. Just, when I was yeah. 18 months, I used to go with my mom to visit my grandfather, one of my favorite people in the world. And um, I would perform at his candy store. <laughs> and people would come to see the dancing baby at my grandfather's candy store when I was 18 months. And they, I would come and like dance and show off for the people. And uh, they would literally give me change and, like, buy me candy at my grandfather's candy store, which <laughs> when I hear the story, I think that's so funny that people thought they had to pay for candy for me. But <laughs> Actually, it's a great marketing gimmick. I'm right. Sure, I'm sure your grandfather really appreciated yeah, he, that. Yeah, he's been, he's been doing some, making money off of me for a long time. <laughs> but um, so that's how I got started, which I think is really funny. But I've always loved... Um, I don't know if it's I've always loved performing or if I've always loved attention, but... <laughs> Um, the two, whatever, are, the whatever, two <laughs> aren't mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. Um, I've always loved making people smile and laugh. I do know that. So when I was um, six years old, I started uh, working with a program called the Movements Unlimited, and that was because I was always dancing and singing and stuff like that. So my mother and uh, my grandparents were like, "We have to find something for him to do because this is clearly what he likes." Right. And he has so much energy and I want to, you know, we want to nurture that. So they put me in Movements Unlimited for two years. I did that. And the owner of that company, Cynthia Jahi, uh, had a daughter who started going to Arena Players. And so she told me about the Arena Players. And I talked to my mother and that summer, pardon me, that summer I started at the Arena Players and I went until I graduated high school. Um, And... Basically, it was a place where you would go for the summer at, when I first started, and we would do music classes and dance classes and acting classes, and at the culmination of the summer, which was like a, I think it was a six-week program, 
we would do a musical. So we basically were learning how to sing, dance, and act, but also rehearsing to do a show at the end of the program for okay. the summer. And so I did that for literally every summer that I was a child <laughs> okay, um, that's, from when that's, I was eight. That's great. Do you remember the first the first musical that you did that first you, summer? You won't believe me if I tell you. It's, <laughs> it was called Eric in Wonderland. <laughs> Not kidding. I got there and the... the um, the director of the Arena Players Youth Theater, her name is Catherine Orange. I got a scholarship to the to the program, uh-huh. and she was. They were just like, "Where'd this little boy come from?" And they literally wrote a show called Eric in Wonderland, which was kind of based on Alice in Wonderland, but right. it was about it was about me going to this fantastical place and like meeting all these people. And I don't. I wish I remember like how how it went, but. Um, but it was basically like Alice in Wonderland, but it was called Eric in Wonderland. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So my uh-huh. first, <laughs> my first show there, I was starring in a show. <laughs> so it was, it was built around you. That's, it was. that's a great story. Craziness. Okay. And okay. then the next one, the one after that was Cinderella and I played Prince Charming. I can imagine. <laughs> okay. Now, what do you fig- uh, what do you consider your first professional gig aside from aside from dancing? I guess your first professional gig was really just at eighteen months dancing right. for for change because I did get paid. Yeah. Um, but you know the first the first um, thing that I did once I was like I'm going to be an actor, right? And at what point did you at what point did you make that decision? I think probably once once I started at Arena Players, like once I realized that this was um there was like a a discipline and I could actually channel all of this energy and I loved I really I did, I loved attention and I loved mm-hmm. affecting people and I didn't know that's what it was at that age, I don't think, but I but I know that I loved having people be engaged and smile. I just love making people feel good. Um, and that first show, I'm pretty sure I was sold. Cause I mean, after that, after that summer, it was like, I was, I was definitely going back. I was, I couldn't wait till the next summer. And when I was in school, I also did, um, school, school plays and stuff like that. And my, my mother used to make me laugh. She was like, I just, I knew this was what you were going to be because like you would be in the school play and you would know everybody's lines. (laughs) Like you would be on stage and somebody would like freeze and then you would just walk over to them and tell them. (laughs) And I, I actually do remember that. I used to. I just used to be that kid. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, that you paid, you paid attention and you yeah. were into and it. and I loved it. And uh-huh. it was, and so it wasn't, And but it also is funny because I hear people tell stories and I wasn't like mean to people, but I just, you know, I just loved what we, I just loved it. So I like literally did know everybody's lines and I used to, I, I, I remember when I was doing a show on Broadway, one of my friends was like, you know, when we were in rehearsals, you used to, used to mouth the words. And I was like, <laughs> did I really? She was like, yeah, you used to like, and I would just be watching you, and I'd be like, he doesn't even know he's doing that. <laughs> and oh, I was like, well, thank God it didn't happen when we got on stage. But oh, that's, that's funny, because I saw an, um, an interview with Emma Watson, uh-huh. and she was showing, she was showing outtakes from uh, the first Harry Potter movie. Oh, wow. And she would do that where they would have to, they would have to cut, because, because she, was... she was mouthing the other characters' lines, it's and she would sort of prompt them. Well, I'm in good company. Then. Yeah, yeah. I'll, think, I'll take that. <laughs> I think so. So was there, so you did, you did theater in like school, school plays? I did. I, so I went to, um, I went to high school once, once the, the summer program turned into 
the summer program turned into me going during the school year. Then it, we would do, so we would do the summer program, the Black History Month program, and then the um, winter program. Um, so all of a sudden I was going to arena players the entire year through all the, the time. entire year through the entire year through. And I, I had a scholarship the entire time I was there. So that was pretty cool. Um, cause they were like, well, we want him to come back. So anything that we can do to like, make sure that he's doing this. Cause we can just see that he loves it. Um, so I was there and then I, do you remember a particular teacher or administrator there that uh, really influenced you oh or my gosh, that, uh... yeah so my my dance mentor who is my friend to this day her name is Yvette Shipley um she she uh, yeah she's she's like my my second mother mm -hmm. away from home and then literally all of the teachers there though because they were artists but they also were regular people who had other jobs like Miss Shipley worked at a um she worked at a dentist's office, and she also was a substitute teacher. Mm -hmm. So randomly, she became my <laughs> she became my dentist, <laughs> which is so crazy. I had to get my wisdom teeth pulled out, and I like I was so ex happy that it was her because I was so petrified because I've never had any dental problems, and my yeah. my uh, wisdom teeth grew in uh, in size. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. So they um, she, anyway, she was my dentist, which was crazy. And she also was a substitute teacher, so she actually, when I was in middle school, substitute teached one of my English classes. So it was so weird to like have these people who were like phenomenal artists, because she she's a dancer who danced with a bunch of different companies and stuff. To like be in Baltimore, and she's just a, re a regular person as well. And do you, do you think like that was that that influenced you just the fact that these people um, that they were artists but they also participated in the community that mm -hmm. they had sort of uh, that they were present in your life yeah. beyond just your time on the stage yeah which for me is why I go back specifically I go back home definitely to Arena Players to just pour into the lives of the kids there because I think it's important for them to see what can happen. For somebody who's come from there, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I, I think that's that's vital. So, so what do you do? So you go back and I teach. How a, do you... I teach like a master class, or I there, there was one time where I had left and I came back and they were doing the like the junior version of the Lion King, which I had I had been in the Lion King. Yeah. So I went back and actually choreographed a number for the show and helped assistant direct that show. Um, and then sometimes I would just go back and literally just go be in class with them so that like they could just be around me and yeah. I could be around them and talk to them about being in New York and being on Broadway and, um, and also just reminding them like, because growing up in Baltimore, which anybody who's ever paid attention to Baltimore, it's a, it can be a very, um, rough place to grow up. Um, and it's my, it's one of my favorite places because I mean, it, it can it be really... a rough place to be an adult too. I mean, yeah. we've seen that in recent years, yeah. just, just, um, the problem. So I think that the arts can be really vital to sort of give. They, I think they really, they are really vital to give you, first of all, just like some, some, um, refuge away from the streets. Because I mean, for me, there are friends that I grew up with who are not lo no longer living, right? Because just the way that circumstances can play out. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, I've had, I had friends who, you know, were in juvenile hall while we were teenagers because of drugs, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, that whole crazy 
thing with politics can sometimes be very unfair to the black community. But oh, absolutely. Um, but to know that that could have been my trajectory, right? But because my family was very supportive of just who I was, like it, they never, they never like pushed me to do it. It was always them just following suit, really. Just like, realize, but realizing yeah. that this is something that you loved, and so loved. they they really supported you. So yeah. that that sounds. I mean, it sounds great that you had that opportunity, and that you also had kind of a supportive family that yeah. that really really allowed you to to thrive in that environment they definitely did now after baltimore mm-hmm. where um what was the what was the transition from from there to, to to new york new york and broadway so um from from baltimore i my best friend was a year ahead of me in in high school so he was in new york when i was finishing up in high school and so i went to visit him uh, after I graduated, and there was an audition for um, this is so funny, <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. I, <laughs> that's hilarious! Wow, there was a there was a tour that was happening in um, in in uh, Amsterdam that Maurice Hines, Gregory Hines' brother, was right. directing and choreographing. My first audition ever, graduated high school and went to New York, visit my best friend, and I met an audition with Maurice Hines. I get a call back, and um, so that was my first audition and my second audition that same week. Probably, like, the next day, I auditioned for Rugrats, A Live Adventure, which was a national tour of the the loved cartoon show that everybody loved. Right. Um, I needed a passport for the tour that was going to Amsterdam. So I got a call back. I went home for a week, had to expedite a passport. And then they decided to cast these two twin brothers who tap danced. Um, So I didn't get that show, but I got my passport and I was like, well, now I have this passport. And I booked the Rugrat show, which was my literally second audition in life. Um, Wow. And now how did that, well, first of all, how did that feel just being in New York and auditioning? Crazy. Uh-huh. But also, but also, right out of high school and crazy and and so right though, like it was so weird to to be there and like and I never in New York is so interesting. I never felt like um, oh the big city. I always felt like I came I and I knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing. So I was never um, I was never like not in awe of it, but I was never overwhelmed by okay. the city of New York right. because I felt like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and so I went to high school at the Carver Center for Arts and Technology where I was a theater major when I first started. And then by the time I graduated, I was basically a musical theater major. Mm-hmm. We we didn't have a musical theater um, prime, we called it, but because I knew I wanted to be on Broadway, <laughs> literally by the time I was in ninth grade, I started as an actor, and then when I was in the 11th grade, I started taking uh, dance major classes and singing major classes. So I was an acting major, singing major, dance major by the time I was in the 11th and 12th grade. So when I graduated, I had the the credits to have graduated as a musical theater person with all of the top um, dance classes, acting classes, and singing classes from Carver Center. And so I graduated from there. And... and 
now did you did you do that? It sounds like you have a love for kind of all three, but but also in the back of your mind, um, did you feel that it was really important to just be a triple Tri- threat yeah. to be to be as talented as possible when you when you're up against you some know really it, phenomenal people? And I I think it was because I I can do all three, right? So it was it was very natural to me. Um, and because my school, and I'm so grateful for them because they, that was the only person who's, I think to this day, who's ever done that. Um, but I know for certain I was definitely the only person doing it when I was doing it. Right. Um, they, they really, they really nurtured that desire. Like I, I went to my, my guidance counselor and I was like, so instead of taking my Spanish, cause like when I was in ninth and 10th, I was a phenomenal Spanish student. Uh-huh. I loved Spanish. Um, but I needed to stop taking certain electives so that I could elect to take these other arts courses. And they all were like, well, yeah, we I, we totally think you should because that's we see that that could be something that could really happen for you. So they... Wow, that's that's great because I think so often in schools throughout mm-hmm. the country that, uh, that guidance counselors, especially... Looking at a career in the arts, mm-hmm. that so often they say like, mm, yeah, yeah don't but bank on that. yeah, you mm-hmm. should probably get get a you know study yeah. something that will get you a job. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it sounds like you had you had great support all around, all around. From... And it's funny because I when I tell the story and I rethink about it, it's always to me it's it's it just feels like people supported what was really for me. I think like, that's, I don't... that's, that sounds really, I mean, it's so vital for somebody, no matter where they end up, I agree. that at some point you always understand that, yes, yeah, somebody encouraged them and, oh, yeah. and kind of pointed them in the right direction. Yeah. Now, what was, what was the first, now the first time that you appeared on Broadway? Yeah. So um, while I was, <laughs> I, it's funny to recount because you don't think about these things when you like just live in your life. So I'm so grateful for my testimony because it's it. Sometimes I'm just like, wow, the little boy who grew up in the hood in Baltimore. This yeah. is so cool. Um, yeah, that's a great. That's I'm a just great so grateful. Story. I'm really grateful. Um, so while I was doing Rugrats, a live adventure for ten months, um, <laughs> I would talk about the Lion King. All the time. If mm-hmm. you talk to anybody from that cast, they that's probably what they would remember the most. Like, oh, he was always talking about how he was going to be in The Lion King. <laughs> I had never even seen the show. But I just knew, I don't know. I just knew that it was it was for me to do. I really just was like, I'm going to be in The Lion King. Mm-hmm. So when I got back to New York in August, uh, I got a phone call from the casting people in in the Lion King while I was on tour because I had auditioned for um I had I auditioned for oh the music man okay which they were casting they were casting the music man and they were casting the Lion King yeah this was the revival the that revival Eric McCormick yes. started in? Okay. yep that Eric McCormick did um and I auditioned for I auditioned for that and they they were like who are you? Have you ever have you ever um, come in for the Lion King? And I was like, no, but that I would love to. So I made it through the whole audition for uh-huh. for the Music Man, and they were like, yeah. The next time we have auditions for the Lion King, we would really love to see you. Um, got a call back for the Music Man, but my friend E. Clayton Cornelius ended up booking that role. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, we became friends later, but but he's he's my friend now. But um, 
So I got a phone call while I was on tour that they were having auditions, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not in town for The Lion King. That must have been frustrating. It was very frustrating, but it also was very encouraging because I was like, they, they weren't kidding. Like, they actually remembered me, and when they say, like, we'll put you in our file, they actually did put me in their file. Because <laughs> I think so often people think that that just means, like, oh, thank you, don't call us. Yeah. Right? We'll yeah, and I certainly, I mean... It was a, it was definitely an unexpected call, but I didn't feel like when they when they said that to me at that audition, I was I definitely took note of that. I was like, that's cool that they could see me in the Lion King or want to see me for the Lion King. Um, so that happened while I was on tour. I probably had about mm, maybe three months left of the tour. Got back. I did the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> okay, wait, what did you do? Oh, the Austin Powers float. Okay. It was so cool and fun. I had an afro, kind of like the one I have now, um, that uh, that was a wig. Uh was super fun. I did with uh, Marguerite Derricks, who's mm-hmm. like, you know, Marguerite Derricks now. Um, but she had done all the Austin Powers movies. So yeah. I did the Austin Powers float. And while I was in New York rehearsing for that, I got a phone call from the casting director, Jay Bender. And they were like, so we're having an audition and it's going to be on December 10th. December 10th is my birthday. So that was a big deal to me. I was like, huh. You thought that was a sign? Oh, 100%. And and that's kind of, I definitely believe in like the universe speaks to us, right? Uh And so I was like, I'm auditioning for The Lion King on my birthday? What? This is crazy because I'll be in town. And I, so I talked to the cast and they're like, so we want to see you. And the the casting director, I'm going to share this. She was like, so basically all you have to do is show up. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, we really, really loved you when you came in. your previous auditions. Yeah, we really loved you. And we just really think that you would be really right for the show. So basically, all you have to do is show up. And, you know, I can't guarantee that you'll be in the show. But basically, all you have to do is show up. And so I was like, well, I will be showing up. (laughs) And not only will I show up, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to show out when I get there. Okay, I will Um, bring it. Yeah. So that audition ended up being like an eight-hour day. Wow. Not a game. We sang, we danced, we took, they made a cut. It was probably maybe like 75 people when we started at 10 a.m. So I spent my whole entire birthday auditioning with people from the Alvin Ailey Company because wow. I recognized a couple of the people yeah. at the audition from Alvin Ailey and all these different dance companies and stuff. And I was auditioning to be, um, they had specifically three roles in the show that they were casting from that audition and um we were supposed to be auditioning for the to be a swing on broadway and made it through the entire audition and a week went by and i got a phone call sitting in my apartment in harlem i'll never forget it and they call me and they go eric we're so excited to be making this phone call and i was couldn't even like believe i was talking to the people who told me all you have to do is show up uh-huh. and the, and they were like so we want to offer you the singer dancer swing in the original production in the original cast of the Toronto production of The Lion King. So I ended up wow. going to Canada uh-huh. for a year. To open the show up there. To open the show. So wow. I was an original cast member of The Lion King in Canada. Oh, that's great. At the Princess of Wales Theatre. Uh-huh. And um a year of paying my dues in, in Toronto. I just say paying my dues, but mm. I was there for a year and literally they were like, We love you. And the role that you're doing here is going to open up in New York, and we 
we want you to come. So I, before I was even, I think I probably had like three months left in Canada and I already knew that I was going to be on Broadway. That you were going back to, to New York. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a great, that's a great yeah. story that just, that sounds, that sounds really amazing. What now it sounds like everything has just kind of tumbled into place for you. Um, but I guess my next question would be like, what do you think have been your biggest challenges along the way? Interesting. That's such a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that was challenging in New York was having been a swing. So I went from doing a singer dancer swing in the Lion King to being uh in the in the in the original cast of Hairspray on Broadway. I played character Dwayne and I understudied Seaweed. Mm-hmm. And from that show I went to do the original cast of Mary Poppins. And I originated the role of William, the mm-hmm. doll who comes to life. <laughs> and I understudied Bert. And so I was having the joys of being in the ensemble and understudying lead roles, which is great. Yeah. But <laughs> for the person who feels like I can do this, though, because first of all, I'm I'm actually validated in the fact that I can do it because you've given me the job of understudying the role. So right. I can do it. And I actually did do it. I've gone on. I, I never went on for Bert because when I was there, Gavin, Gavin Lee never called out. Um, but I went on a plethora of times for Seaweed on Broadway. Right. When I was understudying. And that became very. Um, uh, what's the word? Just kind of like. Oh, this sucks that that I don't get a chance to do that. Oh, that yes, that as an understudy you get to go on and yeah. then the person comes, comes back, back the next night yeah. and you and you kind of I can imagine that would be sort of a letdown. Yeah, and it, it's and and so when so when you ask about like, you know, disappointments or things that kind of like just like obstacles. So when you go into auditions and the casting directors now know who you are, because that I that's three major casting directors who cast me in three different Broadway shows: Tara Rubin, uh, Telsey, and Bender. So those three casting directors basically were the casting directors that cast all the stuff when I was in New York. Um, so they think of me as Eric, who is an amazing performer who we can put in the ensemble and he can understudy the lead roles, right? So exactly. So like even when. They were there was a, ch- a cast changeover. I couldn't get an audition to be to audition for seaweed because it would cost them more money to replace me than it would cost them to just to get hire seaweed. somebody new. And so, do you feel like sometimes that I guess getting known by people and getting known for doing something well mm-hmm. can be a double edged sword sure. because yeah, they know you as that, but then that's how they think of you. Yeah, that yeah. it's and I'm, you know like. Well, I'll tell you one of the greatest joys of my life was actually moving to LA after doing what I did in New York because I I actually did make I mean my dreams came true. I wanted to be on Broadway and I did it three times and it was in some of the like Hairspray, Lion King, yeah. Mary Poppins, like yeah, great some of the show. greatest shows, <laughs> um, which is um, like so amazing. And I moved to LA and though I had that stuff on my resume, I got here and nobody thought of me as Eric, the guy who's in the ensemble that is. So since I moved here, I've really had a great opportunity. Big shout out to Michael Donovan because he was my, he's the first person I ever auditioned for when I moved to LA. Like literally the day after I moved here was the next day when I like drove in from Vegas because I 
stayed in Vegas for two weeks to acclimate to the time difference and stuff before I got to LA because I knew when I got here I would hit the ground running. Right. Because that's just my way. Yeah. Um. So I gave myself like some grace and like get it get acclimated okay. don't be sleepy when you get there um so the next day i had an audition for michael donovan for um the all night strut at the ict theater and um he mike i literally finished my audition and michael donovan was like who are you and <laughs> why don't i know you and i was like oh because i just got here i just got here yesterday and he like did the whole like yeah that's what everybody says and i was like but i'm not kidding i actually just got here yesterday that's i woke great. up this morning and came to this audition and he was like I, I can't believe like I'm so excited to be meeting you right now. And Michael Donovan gave me he was he was like you don't have an agent. Like he gave me a list of agents. He called people and told them this this actor is going to be calling you. So my first agent I got because of my, uh, my first audition with Michael Donovan. And um, and since I've been here, I've had the the real pleasure of doing such diverse things. Mm-hmm. I've done two operas at the Long Beach Opera, starred in one of those, um, done two productions at the Hollywood Bowl. I've done a show at the Pantages. I've just, and I starred at a sh- on the show at the Kirk Douglas. Um, it's just been so rewarding. Right. So rewarding and so, so different than the thing that was so discouraging about New York City. Well, I appreciate that. And I am so glad that you agreed to talk to me. This has been really fun. Well, I'm glad you've had fun because I have to. Uh, we are, we're going to wrap this up. But, okay. uh, but uh, now, if people want to keep track of you. Yeah, you can find me all over the internet at Eric B. Anthony. Literally, ericbanthony.com. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all the other places, Eric B. Anthony. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And we will look forward to whatever comes next for you. Thank you so much, CJ. It's really been a pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot. Yes, you're welcome. Now let's listen to Eric performing at Third Mondays. This is The Best Job in Town from Maryland by Tegan Summers and Gregory Neighbors. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm one of the most fortunate men around. Spend most of my life with the best job in town. You can call me Charlie. Yeah.
talking to me. If you would like to see the video of his Third Mondays performance, you can go to FNAM Third Mondays on YouTube and look up Eric and the other numbers that he did during that show. And there are also several other really great numbers from other great performances. And once again, if you would like to go to Third Mondays, please go to our website, FNAM.us, and you can find out how to get tickets. Once again, I would like to thank the kids from West Adams uh, for talking to me. And if you would like to help support the Pathway program, you can also donate on our website. Uh, In the meantime, if you would like to leave us a nice review on iTunes, we would definitely appreciate that. And thank you once again for listening to this episode of MusicCast. Music.